Do you remember your first day of school? It could have been high school, maybe university or college. Uh, it's definitely been a while for some of us, but I remember the first few weeks of high school. It was difficult. It, I went to the local, local high school, and, and so I still had some of my friends there, but it was a challenge. It was a challenge. It was a bigger school. It was so much more busy. We had to wear uniforms. It was a whole new way, whole new life that I was not ready for. Like I said, it was bigger, it was busier. Um, and we had these things, these lockers that was completely foreign to me. It was brand new and people would decorate their lockers. People would prank each other. There was this whole locker culture that I never really understood. It was different. But the weirdest part about high school and starting high school was that I kept thinking that I was in elementary school. I kept thinking that we were just here for a short period of time. Maybe we were here for a day and we were just learning about what high school was like, but that we were eventually going to go back to our elementary school. I would catch myself saying that I was from my elementary school, that I was still a part of the meteors, and that me and my friends were still a part of this old elementary school. Uh, like if we were playing sports, I would always want to divide us up into meteors versus some other elementary school as if it was like a tournament and we were just there for the day to win and then head back to our old school. It was a tough adjustment. I forgot to wear the uniform sometimes. I'd get confused as to what time school started and what time it ended. It was like I was still stuck in this old rhythm, an old pattern, an old way of doing life and I didn't even realize it. It was embarrassing too, like I would tell my friends and, and say that we were still from this elementary school, um, and it made it look like I was this kid who could just couldn't move on to the next stage, that I was still stuck in the past. And so today we're in Romans, and we're talking about how, there was an, how there's an old way, an old pattern of living our lives that we don't even realize that we are living up to, that we always go back to unknowingly. And I see it all the time. I see it in myself, and I see it in other Christians. And it's this idea that I can do it on my own. That I can do it on my own. And by it, I mean our calling, our, our purpose, this passion that we have for life. This mission that we have been called to, that we can do that on our own. That if I just try hard, if I pull up my bootstraps, and if I work hard, that I can do whatever God has called me to do through my own strength. That if I try hard enough, I can be this great person and that I can do these really great things for him. And we're going to be talking about this idea of bearing fruit. These verses in Romans uh, lead up to this idea of fruit, of the fruit that our lives produce. And, and this idea and concept of fruit is, quite, is a Christian and biblical analogy um, that pretty much is, is just talking about the outward actions from our inward condition. The outward actions from our inward condition is the outcome of what is going on in your heart. And it, it's so crucial to realize that inward peace because if we get too caught up in the works and the good things that we do, we fall back into these old rhythms and patterns of doing it your own way. I remember being in, uh, in this youth group and we had this awesome youth pastor 
and he gave us this really great analogy that I, I still carry with me and I, I still um, bring back from time to time. And it's a story of these quail. And so let me read it out for you. There was an old farmer that brought a whole covey of quail. He had tied a string around one leg of each bird and he brought it to the market. The other end of the string were tied to a ring which fit loosely over a central stick. He had taught the quail to walk dolefully in a circle, around and around. Nobody seemed interested in buying the birds until a particular merchant came along. His heart of compassion went out to those poor little creatures walking in their monotonous circles. I want to buy them all, he told the farmer who was elated. After receiving the money, he was surprised to hear the buyer say, Now I want you to set them all free. What's that, sir? You heard me. Cut the strings from their legs and turn them loose. Set them all free. And so with a shrug, the old farmer bent down and snipped the strings off the quail. They were freed at last. And so they shooed the birds and, and let them go free and The birds flew and landed maybe 50 feet away. But to the amazement and surprise of both the farmer and the merchant, when they saw the birds land, they still decided to walk in their monotonous circles around and around. Even though they were free, even though they realized there was no longer a string attached to them, they still went back to their old rhythm of walking in these circles as if they were still tied to that very post in the ground. And I love that analogy because I think that's where we find ourselves in as Christians. I think that a lot of the times we know and we have read and we've grown up understanding that Jesus died for our sins, that he has freed us, that we no longer have to do good things to earn our way into heaven. And we know where our salvation comes from, but yet we still get caught up in this old pattern of let me do it myself. Let me do it out of my own strength. That if I can do these great things on my own, then I will be this good person. I know because I get caught up in that and that it can be really tiring and it can lead to a lot of burnout and maybe that's you. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're the one biting down, just trying to push through trying to just muster up enough strength and energy to get done what you need to get done. But we get caught in this pattern of of self-righteousness and pride and not trusting in God that eventually spirals down into burnout. And and so earlier I talked about bearing fruit and, and how the fruit is the outward actions of an inward condition. So what is going on in your heart? And as we go, um, as we keep going, I want you to focus on this question is, on this question of how are you doing what is good? Because we can all do good things. We can all um, bear fruit. It might not be good fruit, but we can all bear fruit. But how are you doing this? How are you doing this? What well are you drawing from? Where does your strength lie? And so let's see what Paul has to say. Because we've been journeying through Romans and we know that a big point in this big thesis statement is that we are justified by faith. That we are justified by faith, not by the works that we do, not by how many good things we can do to be justified, to receive righteousness. 
And after that, we, we talked about these chapters, these recent chapters about what now? Like now we understand where our salvation comes from, but what do we do now? The now what? In chapter six, Paul introduces this concept of dying with Christ. And, and death is an interesting thing. We always see it in light of, we, we always see death as in, in light of this evil thing that humans are to be scared of. We are, we are literally in the midst of, of a disease that is causing death all around us. And not to make light of our circumstances and not to make light of maybe the circumstance you might find yourself in. But Paul uses death in a different way. He brings it into a different life and he introduces the power death has in freeing us, in freeing us, and he uses this analogy of marriage. And so we're in Romans chapter 7 today, verse 1 to 6, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Well, Paul right here is um, bringing up this Jewish law um, that the only way for a woman to remarry um, was for her husband to die. It's a little awful to think about, but that was the law for actually for both Jews and for the Romans. If you are married to someone, you're bound to them. You're in covenant with them. And the only way for that bond to break was through death. And it, it seems like such a dramatic analogy, but it's used because it emphasizes just how severe you are tightly bound and how tightly wound we are to the law. It paints this picture that we're under another domain and the only way out is through death. Let's keep reading. Verse four, likewise, my brothers, you, have, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul here, links this, his analogy of death, um, breaking a woman's bond to her husband to explain that because of Jesus, our bond to the law is broken. And we've talked about law in the past, um, but very generally, uh, mankind was given the law from God through Moses. Um, and when we talk about the law, oftentimes we talk about the 10 commandments, um, but we actually know that there were really 613 laws that the Jewish people were called to uphold. Um, this was God's vehicle for how his people should live. It, it's what set them apart. It's what set God's people apart 
from those around them, from the rest of the world, really. But the problem was our sin. Because we are people of sinful nature, we mess these things up. And see, there was nothing wrong with the law, but because of our sin, we made it about our own efforts. Again, we made it about how good we could be through our own effort. But that is not the way of a follower of God, a follower of Jesus. Because with Jesus, his righteousness is placed upon you. It's not about how good we can, we can be. It's not about how um, self-righteous we can be, but, what, but about what Jesus did and how Jesus' death, his life, his resurrection put righteousness upon us, as we've already talked about. The Bible says that we are clothed in his righteousness, that we are now in right standing because of Jesus. And so Paul's reminding us again of this relationship and bond we had with the law and how it's now severed. And that how law no longer has power over us anymore. And that is such a key reminder for us. Because so many Christians, we know that we have been freed by Jesus. We know and we we truly believe in what Jesus did. But we still get caught up in old patterns. We still get caught up in this idea that we still need to put in our own effort. That we still need to do it ourselves. That we still need to muster up our own strength, our own energy, our own efforts to maybe please God or to get his, his acceptance or love. That we, get, that we get maybe caught up in this old pattern of, of self-righteousness and, and again, having to prove ourselves and our worth by what we do. And so in the same way that the quail were tied to the post and then freed, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, need to look down at our ankles and see that we are free. That we're free to move on to a new way of bearing fruit with a life guided by the Spirit. And what I love here is that Paul talks about belonging to another. And that's exactly what it is. We now belong to to God. We are no longer slaves to sin, sin like we talked about in chapter 6, but we are slaves to righteousness. And, and as we talked about before, that we have the Spirit now to guide us in our lives. And that is how we truly bear good fruit. When we are connected to the Spirit, when we are in union with God, when we know that we belong to another, that we no longer have to do it on our own, That is how we bear good fruit. That is how we bear good fruit. That is how we can go and do good good things. That's how we can go and further God's kingdom, go and bless God's people, not through our own efforts, but by being connected to God. Realizing that um, when we get this inward condition correct, when we understand what our heart, who our heart is for, who our heart is connected to, and that we are united with God, then our outward actions will be good fruit instead of fruit that leads to death as it talks about in verse 5. Fruit that is connected to sin from just trying to do more out of our own effort. Fruit that comes from our heart connected to the spirit. That's what leads to good fruit. And so what does that look like? Like, what does that mean? Like, I can understand that, okay, I need to be connected to a connected to God, but what does that actually look like? How does that lead to anything? 
Well, a while ago, we were in a series, a very, very, very long series um, based in John called Follow. And I love it because it, it always brought us back to this idea of being connected through, to the vine. And so if we go to John chapter 15, it says, uh, John chapter 15, verses 5 to 8, it says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, so, so key, so crucial. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this, my father's glorified that you may bear, so that, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So right there in verse seven, we need to abide in God. Abide in God. We need to remain in him. We need to rest in him. We need to go back to God. The season of, of self-isolating that we have been through and are still in um, has been really tough. I don't have to tell you that. It's been tough. But for me, as an extrovert, as someone who just loves to be around people, um, it was really difficult. I got desperate. I actually got a car wash pass that uh, me and my buddy got. Um, and in the winter, we would get excited and we would plan out when we were going to go wash our car so that we could wave to each other um, in line. And so I would literally... Um, it was so sad. I would get uh, excited. I would plan my day around, okay, when are we going to go wash our cars? When are we going to go sit in this hour line? Because everyone had nothing to do. So everyone decided to wash their cars, I guess, that winter or this past winter. And like, that's how, that's how sad it got, that I was so craving this uh, relationship or, or friendship with someone that I would just go get my car washed and sit in a line for an hour for no reason because my car wasn't going anywhere, it was just sitting there. But for some reason, I thought I had to wash my car. But the season also helped me connect with God. It helped me connect with God in ways that I never would have unless I was forced to stay home. A lot of Christian leaders that I follow were emphasizing um, using this time to learn the practice of, of silence and solitude or to practice Sabbath. A lot of the authors I was reading were talking about Sabbath and, and do you actually take time to be alone with God? And that was a huge wake-up call for me because I realized I spent very little time with God. Like I would pray, but very little, I would spend very little time just sitting in his presence sitting and hearing from God. Being in ministry, I was so busy doing for God that I was neglecting that much needed time with God. And so in this season, as I, as I look back um, on quarantine and, and especially those really, really hard lockdown times, I look back and I, I can see God was teaching me to slow down, slow down and spend more time with him because that is where my true strength was coming from. That if I am abiding in him, if I'm resting in him, if I am spending time with God and reminding myself that it's, a, it's all about this relationship that you have with God, that is where you find your strength. I follow this one preacher and, and author 
um, that many of you might know, Rich Velotis. And he explains um, in one of his podcasts that 90% of his sermons, he ends with the same thing. He tells his congregants, he tells his people, just spend more time with God. That's it. That's all you need is just spend more time with God. And, and some, he, obviously he gets more in depth and, and gets more specific to maybe the, the sermon that he was preaching. But that's really what it is, Bayview Glen, that we need to spend more time with God. We need to abide in him. That when he speaks, we can quiet our hearts and minds and sit in his presence and be filled up with his grace and strength. And that is how we can go and bear fruit. We can remain in him. And we had a guest speaker, Pastor Ken uh, Shigematsu. He spoke to us on uh, several sermons on how to do this, on great uh, gospel practices, spiritual disciplines that we can use um, and I encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons on, again, those practical ways that we can abide in him. But what that might look different for you. However you can sit in God's presence, however you can remind yourself to abide and remain in him, I encourage you to do that so that we can bear fruit, good fruit for God. Fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, as it talks about in Galatians 5. And I, and I love this so much because imagine that us as Christians, us as followers of Christ, were marked by this. That we weren't just known for the things that we're against, that Christians weren't just known for what we are opposed to, but that when someone looked at you, when someone really got to know you and, and really spent time with you, that they would see a person of love, person of joy, peace, patience, that the, the fruit that comes from your life is goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we can do that when we are connected, when we abide in God. These are the things, these are the fruit that comes out of it. Because we know that we're not going to be able to do all these things on our, out of our own volition, out of our own strength. We might be able to get a little bit of it, we might be able to get small pieces of it, but if we truly want to be people marked by these fruit, of good fruit, that the world so desperately needs, we must abide in God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that we are no longer bound to the law, bound to this idea that we need to do good things, that we need to do good things out of our own strength, out of our own energy, out of our own efforts. But God, that your righteousness has been placed upon us, that we are now clothed in it, and that now we can just do good things connected to you, that we are connected to your spirit, God, that can guide us. And so God, would we be reminded that we can slow down, take our time to spend time with you, to abide in you. God, would you give us moments? Would you remind us of this? Remind us, uh, remind us of this relationship that we have with you. That we would sit and listen to the things you have for us. That we would be um, filled up with your grace. And that we'd be people marked by the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God, that's my prayer for us. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen.